0: everyone and welcome to joe's tango podcast and thanks again for listening i really appreciate it my guest today runs the well-known eastern market Milonga on thursdays in washington dc where he's been teaching since 2005. since 2010 he's also been teaching tango classes with the tango club at the university of maryland My guest has also been involved with performances for the Washington Performing Arts Society where he led a small troupe that opened for Broadway legend Chita Rivera. He's been featured as a dancer at Disney World, appeared in two TV commercials, as well as a full-length stage play. As both dancer and DJ, he has been featured at the Philadelphia Tango Festival, Tango de los Muertos, the New Year's Marathon in Providence, among many others. And with me now from Washington, D.C. is Jake Spatz. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it.
1: Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to uh, be part of your program. All
0: just right, jump right into it. So, Jake, can you describe the moment or moments way back in the beginning of your tango journey when you knew you wanted tango to be a big part of your life?
1: Well, you know, everyone has a, a story about how they started tango, right? We yeah. all have kind of u- unique, uh, unique ways in the door, um, mm-hmm. as it were. For me, I knew kind of right away from the from the first few steps. In fact, I felt a real um, something resonated with me. Something really grabbed me. And the funny thing is, I did not intend to enjoy dancing tango when I first started. Mm-hmm. I actually was in my friend's bar in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I'd gone in on a, on a day when I usually didn't go there because I'd finished doing an interview uh, with somebody early. I was working on a biography at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'd finished early. I went over and was hanging out in the afternoon. And she said, you hey, silly boy, it's uh, tango night. None of your friends are here. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, oh, man, and here's the beer you just ordered. I'm like, oh, now I'm stuck here. <laughs> so I started watching the class, and, you know, it seemed kind of, kind of whatever, I wasn't really that interested in it, but the bar was really, really small. So it was kind of, I was sitting like right next to the class, basically, kind of with one foot in it almost. And at the end of the class, uh, it was very small, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just three girls there and the teacher, and they were just taking turns dancing with the teacher a few songs at a time, and the other two girls were were standing at the bar uh, right next to where I was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is a real pity. And I wasn't really interested in tango per se, but I was just thinking, well, I should be a gentleman here. And I, and I said, okay, somebody teach me a few steps so I can at least you know take one of these women on the floor while they're waiting for, for a real dancer. <laughs> and as I said that, I, another guy walks into the, to the bar. My friend who owned the bar said, okay, Jake, this guy is learning how to follow. He's going to teach you how to lead. And I said, fine. <laughs> so I worked with this guy he was very generous with his, uh, with his time, very patient with me, mm-hmm. for about an hour, Wow! Um, literally in the front door of the bar, like right where people walk in. So people would walk in or out, we'd step aside, and then, I mean, we're talking a very small place. But this guy showed me the embrace, showed me the, the basic, and showed me the forward ocho all in an hour. Wow, Uh, which is kind of amazing in this tiny little room. I mean, we had barely enough, enough space to dance that stuff. And that's what he showed me. And I could feel even while I was dancing with him, just taking, I remember the first side step I took, you know, I danced, you know, one and then two, that step straight to the side, just Mm -hmm. something. I felt something with that, something about the geometry or direction. And I thought, Oh man, I actually like this one (laughs) because (laughs) I had been thrown into situations my uh, you know earlier in life where I had to dance, and I always hated it. Mm-hmm. I really detested it. I liked watching dance performances when I was in college. We had a great dance program there. Okay. And the students were very creative, so I saw some amazing choreographies and some really creative projects there. there. This was at Sarah Lawrence College. But I, I hated dancing myself, so oh, I anyway. had no intention to actually like it. Yeah. Wow. But I, it grabbed me, and so that night, I actually danced that night in that tiny little bar mm-hmm. with I think one or two other couples on the floor. The maximum really was three couples on the floor at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I danced that night from 10 p.m. until 2 o'clock in the morning when the last other dancer went home. And wow. I went up, sat down, and, and finished that beer I had ordered a long, <laughs> long time ago.
0: Wow. So it really sucked you in.
1: Yes. And I danced that whole hour in that tiny little space with just the eight-count basic and the forward ocho. Nice. And a so passing acquaintance <laughs> with the rhythm that kind of came and went. Okay, great. So,
0: so this, but, was in, this was in 2001 in Brooklyn.
1: This was in 2001 at a tiny little bar in Brooklyn called Artland Bar. Wow. Which isn't it, it, the building's still there, but it's not the it's not the same place. I was actually back there a few years ago with my girlfriend Dasha. We were mm-hmm. in we were in New York to I think I was DJing or or we were there at an event. Uh, I don't remember exactly where it was, but we were staying in Brooklyn, so we're driving across the bridge, and I thought, you know, this is where I used to live. Why don't we go check out the, the bar where I started to dance? I'll show you, you know, because I'd always been telling her how small the floor was. So we went in, and it wasn't the same place anymore. It was like a, a little scotch bar. Oh. At that point, I forgot what the new name is, but we sat down, and I looked at the floor, and I was like, oh my God, that's even smaller than I remembered.
2: Wow.
1: And I, you know, memory has a tendency to, to embellish a little bit sometimes, yeah. but... It was the opposite. It was even smaller than I thought. Um, <laughs> it was, it was about the size of like nowadays, how you would dance the basic, like in a, in an open floor. That's wow. about how big the floor was.
2: Oh my God. Um, and so we
1: had, we had three couples on that floor usually, and we all, we all kind of knew each other. So we literally danced around each other, mm-hmm. but there was back then, there was no sense of close embrace or open embrace. You danced tango. Okay. And I started to hear these terms much later. I would say about, you know, two to three years later in, mm. uh, in Washington when I moved here.
0: Yeah.
1: That's when I heard these terms, open embrace, close embrace. I didn't know what people were talking about. I thought, uh-huh. I was like, well, I, I only dance tango. I don't know those other dances. Okay. So our, our sense of the, of like floor craft and of the embrace it was all very intuitive and very kind of fluid. hmm But we didn't have a lot of problems with any of that stuff there that, as far as I remember.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so yeah. I know kind of wandering from the original topic a bit but that's kind of how things tend to go right yeah yeah interesting
0: yeah so it's funny you were in New York 2001 I was in New York at around the same time I wonder if I might have crossed paths with you unintentionally at some point so yeah
1: <laughs> maybe the very first milonga I went out to because I don't count the one in the bar okay as a milonga because it was like that was like going to the bar yeah but the, the first like large event I went to I remember was an event that the old Triangulo. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. I took lessons there. There
1: yeah. was, yeah, it was, for, I remember that experience because I'd been dancing maybe about two months or so. Mm-hmm. And so this was probably around, I'm going to say, August or so of 2001. And I remember being in that room and I was really confused because not only were there a ton of people there, mm-hmm. but there was no line of dance at all. And <laughs> the thing is, I learned in this little shoebox of a dance floor where there was only a line of dance. Right. <laughs> you had to move that way. And in this big room where people weren't really circulating, mm-hmm. I was really lost just because of that, not even because of the the number of people there. But I remember to this day, I remember seeing half of the men on the dance floor were doing this step that I'd never seen. Mm-hmm. And it finished like an outro And I was like, what are they doing? And I started <laughs> to pay attention. I asked my teacher. I found out much later what they were doing was like a really goofy version of the ocho cortado that i've never seen people dance it that way since but i can demonstrate it but um it was (laughs) it was weird to see half the room doing this step that i'd never seen but Mm. uh, that's what i remember visually from that the most yeah nice
0: yeah so speaking of, of first malangas there jake what's some advice you have for novices who are just venturing out for you know to their to their first few tango socials and how to get through the evening smoothly
1: well, I'll tell you, my way, of course, was doing it by accident, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's good advice. But <laughs> what, I would, what I would say, what I've seen work for, for others, mm-hmm. especially as I've been an event organizer for a long time now, yeah. what I see works the best is if you go as a group,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is you have people to talk to right away because yeah. you already you bring them yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that if you go into a, into a milonga of any size, really, and you're one person and you're like kind of a beginner or a new person. You're very easily overlooked. Yeah. But if you go in as a group of people, it's really hard for other people to sideline you because you're a group and mm. groups have much more automatic charisma in a way. Yeah. So you get, you get drawn in if you're, if you're like, I would say two is not really a group because if you go as two, it looks like you're a couple and people will leave you alone. Yeah right? And it's kind of the, the etiquette sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on the place, but if you go in as three people, four people, right, now others are going to come up and, and talk to you, ask where you're from, that kind of stuff, and, and you'll get integrated socially much mm-hmm. more easily. Okay. I think socializing is the main activity out of milonga. Dancing is, is one of the ways in which we socialize, mm-hmm. but if we go into a milonga thinking we're going to dance camp, our expectations are going to be a little bit off of what the experience is really going to be
2: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of chit chat and a lot of just like, you know, making friends and, and that kind of stuff that goes on at a, at a Milonga too. I think that's what makes it such a unique
2: yeah.
1: event is that it's, it's not just a dance. It's also, it's like part cafe, part cabaret, part dance, it's right. like all, mm-hmm. all mixed together. Okay. So I think that that's my main advice for people because that just gets you started. Mm-hmm. Uh, Once, once you're on the dance floor, I think that, you know, this goes for an experienced dancer in a new venue, also a new neighborhood, maybe you could say, but I think it's best to go in and dance simply and just kind of look around and observe more and see like, how do people do things here? Because, you know, I don't, I think that, you know, to go in and try to make a splash usually is a mistake (laughs) in the tango world. (laughs) Yeah. People look at you like trying too hard, maybe. But yeah. the thing is, you go in and you kind of, you know, find the groove and figure out what's the flow and try to go with it. Mm-hmm. Everything runs much more smoothly that way.
0: Yeah. So as you started uh, taking classes and you started uh, learning and really being part of uh, the tango community or the tango scene where you were, what's some really good advice or memorable advice that you've gotten from from teachers?
1: You know, I've had so much good counsel from teachers um, over the years mm-hmm. that it's hard, to, it's hard to remember individual details. Sure. But what really does stand out to me much more is a kind of manner or an attitude okay. that I've seen that's actually not as much from teachers all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, pointing back to that kind of social world of the, of the milongas, the kind of way that tango is its own little world. When I was dancing in that little bar I described earlier, the way that I actually learned how to dance was in part from my, my teachers um, and taking classes and also taking like short private lessons. I did a lot of half hour lessons Mm -hmm. because it's what I could afford and the teacher could could squeeze it in and it worked. But what I, I really learned to dance on the dance floor Mm -hmm. because in this little bar, there were, I would say four or five women that I had danced with regularly Mm -hmm. and they would pull me by the ear around the room <laughs> so I was doing it right. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if I was off the, I was trying to practice a step, but if I was off the beat, they'd start slapping my back to cool. get me on the beat. Okay, And, you know, it's really kind of like, if you think of the way that families raise children or maybe, maybe lions raise cubs, <laughs> it's kind of that way. It's <laughs> yeah. really informal, mm-hmm. but you know, no, no mystery about technique. No, it was just like prodding and encouragement and, and mm. coaching more than anything. Mm. And it's really because people in the milonga wanted another dancer mm-hmm. to dance with. So they decided to make one. And I think that that attitude, which is kind of the very opposite of snobbery in yeah, a way, right. is I think the most productive thing that I've ever seen in communities that really creates more dancers is mm-hmm. just the drive of the community to have them. Yeah. It can't come just from a teacher because the. I think the problem with having tango teachers oftentimes is that no matter how good the teacher is or mm-hmm. what they're teaching, you take somebody right out of class, you put them in the milonga, and the milonga rejects the product of the class. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. The thing is that the milonga is the jury of the of the tango. Mm-hmm. So when the when the jury, as it were, decides to create its own dancers and encourage people, I think that you actually get results that way and I think I mean I've had so many interactions with people since then and I know so many people that that I've taught to dance in kind of a similar way where the teaching isn't just the formal classroom right but really you know going and like running an event with somebody um, Um, that's just getting started or you know doing doing different things in that way and really making it part of part of the world mm -hmm. welcoming people into that world I think is what makes the biggest difference yeah and I've seen, I've talked about this with, with, you know, colleagues of mine and with other teachers that I've studied with. And I think that this seems to be, this seems to be a consistent thing that happens a lot that is very easy for us to forget about once we start talking about this tip or that technique or, mm-hmm. or some figure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's neat. Uh, like you brought up about that, that sort of organic way of growing.
1: Yeah. I think also that the whole kind of tango vibe. Right, the tango atmosphere, mm-hmm. I think, is a it kind of clashes a little bit with something that's too academic. Yeah, um, it has to be a little bit informal. It has to be a little bit do-it-yourself mm-hmm. for it to have the right ethics in a way to have the right uh, world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, kind of keeping on this on this teaching topic. So, how did you start teaching, Jake? Can you describe that journey?
1: I began teaching in two thousand five, mm. uh, late in that year, mm. and the way that I started teaching actually was, had a kind of a run-up to it. I'd been getting—I uh, started getting invitations to teach, nice. probably at the beginning of that year. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm not ready to teach. I don't know really like if I were in front of a student, I could share them. I could share some things I know, but I don't really know mm-hmm. enough. And I had taught in some other arts before. I'd done a lot of different different things in other arts. So I kind of knew. Well, I need to have a minimum. Understanding of how things work if I'm going to feel comfortable doing this. And I I did want to do it seriously. So Mm -hmm. I decided to spend about, I called it six months, but it was actually longer, learning a lot more thoroughly how the dance worked. Uh, I learned how to follow also and learned how to do it not just okay, but do it like well enough so that I could, I would be able to do it for an hour with Mm -hmm. a student and not feel uh, like, not be tired or feel off or anything. Mm And I took a lot of classes in, this is one thing I made a point about. I, I wanted to study what I call stylistics. Okay. So I wanted to learn that, like, you know, there were people at that time I knew, okay, some people say there's close embrace, some people say there's open embrace. And at the time, there was also Tango Salon, which was kind of like the real tango. <laughs> but that was not in its heyday. Nowadays, that's the big thing, right? Mm-hmm. That very classic tango, that's really come back in a, in a big way, I think because people can get visas to visit the U.S. now. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for a long time, you know, that side of tango out of, directly out of Argentina was, uh, was seen a lot less in the early 2000s, I think.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Or I should say mid-2000s, because I think that's when it happened. In any case, I made a real point of trying to, trying to learn how to dance in different styles and learn different ways of dancing. Because mm-hmm. uh, when it comes down to it, for me as an artist, I'm very much of a pluralist. Uh-huh. Um, I want to understand every style, every technique possible. And then that way I can go use, use whatever I want or make my own synthesis uh, mm-hmm. out of all that stuff. But I didn't want to focus on just one thing and then have to tell people later, well, I don't know this other thing. Cause I, I put all my eggs in this one yeah. uh, basket over here. Mm-hmm. So I spent a while learning really how people that disagreed with each other about how to dance, well, how, how they really, what they did believe in, mm-hmm. um, which took a little bit of work to extract that information because the disagreements are much easier to to yeah. get to yeah. nowadays a lot of those uh a lot of those debates you could say about yeah. how to dance I think have subsided, and I don't feel like the like the marketing is really uh is really conflicted, and people are really you know disputing each other the way that you used to see in the past, I feel like things are much more holistic now in right. a sense mm-hmm. I think we've like we've learned that tango is more important than the particular styles maybe yeah. uh, just as communities get larger, we need to also be more accommodating
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in order to, to grow. So, but for me as a, you know, before I started teaching, that was a, one of the big things that I, that I had on my checklist
2: mm-hmm.
1: that I wanted to feel like I was comfortable there and that I could at least teach somebody the basics of that. And I had a foundation of my own that I could continue working on. Mm-hmm. And then of course, if somebody, if somebody needed more than I can teach, I would also know, who to refer them to. Mm -hmm. So, so I did a lot of that. In addition, I did, I did a lot of work and I'm talking for like more than a year assisting in classes in other people's classes and also assisting in other people's private lessons. Mm. And this is a thing I wanted to, to touch on Mm -hmm. um, at some point, because I'm, I've realized in, in the last year or so that, when people take private lessons alone with the teacher, is yeah. something I've, I've seen from the teacher side a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: that if you're already a very experienced dancer, that hour can be really packed with, you know, with a lot of, a lot of learning, a mm-hmm. lot of insight and a lot of focus. But it, even for, a, even for a professional, I think to mm-hmm. sustain your focus for an hour solid is, is a little bit challenging. Yeah. I think for a beginner, it's overwhelming yeah. and, mm-hmm it's great practice for the teacher (laughs) but it's (laughs) it's really not great practice for the student all the time. Mm -hmm. I started running a promotion about six months ago Mm -hmm. just because I got tired of having a private lesson where I felt like I was really practicing the whole time but I I didn't see the student getting a lot out of it Uh themselves so I thought okay what if I try this I'm gonna do a promotion where I'm gonna give a discount for like a, a lesson or two if somebody comes with a partner God. Let me just see how that works. Mm-hmm. And I found out two things. One is that the lessons went way better for the students there because <clears throat> they had a they had the ability to step back a little bit and observe and like think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's the main thing I think that that uh, we don't have a chance to always do in a private lesson It's just actually like let the let the gears turn a little bit. You know, right. without having to be moving all the time. But, as you know, I'd dance with one partner, dance with the other, put them together, mm-hmm. going through that little rotation, I think ended up being really much more productive. Mm-hmm. The other thing I found out, and this is what I really wanted to mention, sure, is that because i because I also gave it a discount and it was two,
2: mm-hmm.
1: people could split the cost. so I had this sudden influx of all these people that never thought that they would take a private lesson
2: mm-hmm. before,
1: and suddenly they're they're signing up, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this promotion worked a little too well. Now I'm
0: out of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Yeah.
1: But what it did was it really lowered the bar of entry to a lot more people. And people started to make a lot more friends, too, because they were asking around, hey, do you want to partner me for a lesson? Hey, do you want to partner me for a lesson? Mm-hmm. And so I found that that it fed into that socializing thing I was talking about before too. Right. Um, and it really just encouraged people to, to come in as groups and to to make friends and to, to actually be able to do it really well. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I was, and I kind of had forgotten about that for a long time, but when I was kind of doing my prep to start teaching, I did that a bunch for other people, like with other people, I came in and did, you know, as their partner during a lesson, mm-hmm. because they wanted another person there. And and that actually worked out pretty well, and it gave I think a, it created a good model for me to find uh, later so mm-hmm. that's what I've been trying to steer more and more people toward lately and I find that it's actually it's actually working out a lot better for everybody. I can teach much better, mm-hmm. but also I see that the dancers in the lesson can take the lesson much more effectively and they can get more out of it
2: yeah.
1: That's maybe a bigger answer than you might have. Been no, that's before. great. That's great. Hey, <laughs> but,
0: listen, I love it when, when our guests talk and they really delve deep into their ideas because that's, that's, what's really useful to a lot of our, our listeners here.
1: There's, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh-huh. Um, when I, I, this occurred to me as I was, as I was just thinking about the show and what we might talk about. Yeah. Based on the, the kind of background I have, which mm-hmm. before getting into dance, I was, I'm mainly a writer, but okay. I've also done a lot of work in with theater and with, with music performance and kind of everything around that, mm-hmm. that little world of the small stage. Before I started teaching, mm-hmm. I started performing. Oh. And for me that was an important thing to do because that gave in just in my own eyes of, of what I was doing, that gave me the license to go teach or to you know, gave me the credibility that I felt I needed because Uh if I couldn't get up and do it on a stage in front of a, you know, a few hundred people, I know, I wouldn't feel really comfortable, you know, telling other people how to do it. I think that you have to be able to to demonstrate Mm -hmm. how it works as your primary thing. You know, as much as I think about how to, the importance of explaining a thing well Mm -hmm. and of designing a class with, with a good structure and a good flow from, from point to point in the class. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think at the end of the day, what we do when we're not talking, Mm-hmm. Just what we show
2: yeah. is,
1: is a bigger importance, and that's why it's so important for us in classes when we're teaching to show things correctly
2: yeah.
1: and to not, to not show the, the wrong way to do a thing. Which mm-hmm. Sometimes we do just to illustrate, but I think that's, that illustration can actually be really almost detrimental. So I it's a lot that. of the practice to be able to stand up and show the right thing. I think mm-hmm. that takes a lot, of, a lot of work as well.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, so a quick question about about performing, because you've you've also taught students on how to perform. You've led performances as well so when you're teaching someone to perform as opposed to dance socially what are some big things that are you un- more unique to to performing than, than dancing socially
1: well i want to i want to mention first that sure. it, when i've led groups for performance mm-hmm. my strategy for it was to hire people with more experience than me so that i could learn from them too okay because i i once got a gig and the, and somebody said hey we've got this gala coming up for like five thousand people mm-hmm. Can you dance? And I was like, uh, sure, what's the budget? And they said, this. And I thought, oh, I can hire some friends of mine from out of town. So I put together a little, a little group, and it was great. And we had enough of a budget, thankfully, that we could actually, I think we did three rehearsals,
2: mm-hmm.
1: one, in, one in New York, one in D.C., and then I think I did another one in New York near the end. And, you know, of course, this was not a huge budget. This was taking the bus and stuff. But sure. the thing is, when you do a performance, mm-hmm. performances are very site-specific. Okay. Like when you're dancing socially, I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about it, but you're dancing in the lane.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, there's the side of the lane where the you could say the wall is, or where the tables are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then there's the, the inside of the dance floor, and there's forward and back, and you're dancing around other people. So you're you're dancing within these parameters that are very specific, but those are very creative elements on the dance floor too. When you're dancing mm-hmm. socially. Yeah. When you do a performance, if you're performing in a milonga, then you've got you're performing in the round. So you kind of have to think about that. If yeah. you're dancing on a stage, mm-hmm. then there's a front and a back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the stage is sloped. Like a lot of stages are actually, you know, angled forward towards the crowd so everyone can see the, the, what's going on on the right. stage more clearly. Right, right. So you've got to think of all, a lot of different factors like that. You have mm-hmm. And, like and when, the thing is when you're dancing in a milonga,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean when you're performing in a milonga, right? Yeah. You tend to move around the room
2: mm-hmm.
1: or you can cross it on diagonals and things like that. When mm-hmm. you're on the stage, you have to just go back and forth <laughs> kind of like right. a line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, because otherwise, if you, if you walk to the back of the stage or to the front of the stage, people don't really see that mm-hmm. visually very clearly. Uh, so the thing is that you, 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 dance the same way, but you just have to present it mm-hmm. with, you know, with a little bit more design depending on, on the space. Mm-hmm. And also if you're, you know, if it's part of a stage play where you're in character, you have to work that into what you're going to do as well. Even if you're improvising, mm-hmm. you still have to do it in character and in costume. And I think that's, that's a little bit more rare, but if you are performing on a stage as part of a tango show or set piece or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't always to like, people who bought tickets. Sometimes it's just a promo thing at a, at a college for the club,
2: something right. like that. Mm-hmm.
1: You've got to approach it in a different way. And I think that really the main thing is just knowing that there's one front. Mm-hmm. namely what was called the house when you're on on stage it's where all the seats are okay. you got to always be facing that direction to some degree
0: hmm okay so you mentioned before uh, a lot of important elements about being an effective peer in the community so what are some ways Jake in your opinion uh, you know because there's there's a teacher-student relationship but, but then there's also you know how to be a good peer in the tango community, so what are what are some pointers you have on being a peer and perhaps in helping those who are less experienced?
1: That's a good question. I think that for me, the when I think about what's a good peer in a community, I don't really know what that means so much as how do you be just a good part of the community? Mm-hmm. And I think that you have for that you have to start with that word community. Yeah, and realize that you and all the other dancers that you see at Emiranga are in it together. New mm-hmm. people come in; they're in it with you now too, and you know. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, it all comes down to the attitude you have with regard to the dance and your place in it and right. what you want out of it too. Mm-hmm. And I think that the main enemy to everything in tango, besides just crazy dysfunctional stuff, right, <laughs> right. is is snobbery. I think snobbery is mm-hmm. probably the, it's the biggest turnoff for cool, smart people from outside who are just getting started. They see snobs and they're like, sorry, turn around and yeah. and go somewhere better. Yeah. It's not very really at the end. When you really look at what you're being snobbish about it's so stupid in a way. Right. But I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to this. There's only really two kinds of tango dancer. Mm-hmm. There's the kind that wants to have a good partner, and then there's the kind that wants to be a good partner. Ah, okay. And if you're the second kind, you want to be a good partner, you're going to you're going to have a much better time on the dance floor anyway. Mhm. Because your success in the dance is not going to depend on the other person making it happen for you. Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on you making it happen for the other person, too.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And that's something that you're actually in control of. You can choose to do that
2: mm-hmm.
1: no matter who you're dancing with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that for all tango dancers, that's a really important thing is to, be, is to approach the, the dance and approach the embrace with that mentality. Mm-hmm. And not think about you want to have a good partner. It's mm-hmm. like, well, we all we all want to have a good dance. But to have a good partner is really making yourself really a, a small part of that equation, yeah. smaller than than is necessary. I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. I think it's very really important to approach things in that way and realize that you are a productive part of the community in which you are dancing. Mm-hmm. You're not just you know you're not going to be a consumer. You're going to be a producer of yeah. that whole culture of tango. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to like more specifically how what people can do, mm-hmm. you know, you're there in the Milonga, you see somebody there uh, that you want to dance with and mm-hmm. they're a beginner, let's say. I think that what you can do is is basically call your shots. Mm-hmm. Wait for music that is going to be easy to dance to with that person and go mm-hmm. dance with them then. Yeah. But if you wait for the craziest, you know, most syncopated Biaggi tangos to come on and then you ask the beginner "Yeah, dad, well, you're probably going to have a lousy time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and they might not even, I mean, just the music can sometimes throw people, depends how, how good the sound system is too. But, uh, I think that if you, you know, if you basically stack the odds in your favor for what you're, what you want to do and mm-hmm. the outcome you want to see, well, it tends to work out more often than not in your mm-hmm. favor. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that. Those of us who want a good partner versus those who want to be a good partner. And it's, yeah, that's really, really good to good for us to think about. Yeah. So Jake, after working with so many students, what are, what are some things uh, that you've learned from your own students?
1: Uh, I've learned, well, something I've seen reinforced Mm -hmm. over and over Mm -hmm. is that, is that people actually just need time. A lot of the time when, like when you, when you get up to teach the, the kind of mentality you have as a teacher is that you need to do do your job. But the thing is that's teaching, that's not learning. Mm-hmm. And I've, i try to focus on the learning process, not on the teaching activity. And sometimes I see that students simply need time to try out a step. You know, that I know when I've, when I'm learning steps, I want to go through it and try it from a few angles and a few rhythms and whatever. And it's like, I'm not, I don't need guidance then I know what I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. I'm exploring. I'm, you know, getting my hands dirty, as it were. Yeah. I think people need time to do that on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually good to focus on instruction more than on correction, mm-hmm. because correction usually concerns minor adjustments, yeah, minor details. And I, what I've learned from my students is that to make a correction when you don't really have the kind of the body there to make a minor adjustment to doesn't really mean very much.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that, that the first part of the learning phase is really discovery. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, takes a little bit of time. It's kind of like people are excavating a new experience. And, you know, just to have a, a little bit of uh, time to go through that initial process, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. One other thing I've seen from from working with a lot of people uh, of different ages mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of things that uh, I used to shun when I started teaching.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I didn't have a good reason to shun them. I just didn't want to do them uh, because I wanted to do other things. But Mm -hmm. I've come back to the stuff that I kind of set aside in the last several years. And it's actually become stuff I do all the time now that I think works really well,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: such as group exercises.
2: Mm.
1: We do stuff at the beginning of most of our beginner classes now, which is like have all the men on one side, all the women on the other facing Mm -hmm. each other. And we all dance the basics several times. Yeah. I mean, we're talking in a big room, too. Mm. Uh, and then we do it with the music, we do sometimes different rhythms, sometimes we use other steps. But I think that in to do things in a group like that, that's really how, in a lot of ways, like martial arts works, that's how yoga works, mm. That's how sports works. Mm-hmm. These are all movement disciplines that where people can come in at any level and join the group, and they can look around and learn from their from their peers, mm-hmm. right as it yeah. were. But also people who know a little more can actually realize other people are looking at them and they need to be a good a good example. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, this puts us in a different place than just having one partner, one, you know, one teacher, mm-hmm. it kind of puts us all in the, in the activity together, mm-hmm. uh, kind of on a level playing field. So stuff like that I have found is very important and that's something I've gotten a lot of feedback of, uh, about from my students. Mm-hmm. And I've seen my students bring in friends of theirs who've never done it before. And they throw them in the class too and say, oh, we're going to learn the basic together. And I'm like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. It's all more, Mm -hmm. a little more accessible and a little more encouraging. You don't have to be, you know, dancing at the same level as everyone else necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I find that, you know, students have so much enthusiasm when they get into tango. And I think that to find ways to allow them to be enthusiastic is really, I think really essential Mm -hmm. because that's really what drives us all to to this beautiful activity right. anyways that we're all crazy about. Mm-hmm. And if there are turnoffs in a class or barriers, I think that, you know, it, it just kind of, it, it starts to discourage people. And mm-hmm. I think that, while well, I don't, you know, I don't try to nerf all my classes or anything like that either. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to teach with, you know, clear stuff and with structure and traditional steps. But mm-hmm. I think that to do it in a manner that focuses on the fact that people can learn how to do it, Um, And can get started at any point. I think it really sets a a more positive tone to the whole thing. Yeah. So sort of
0: keeping along with uh, with the topic of students, what are some common things you notice uh, uh, that hold back our tango progress?
1: Well, I think that the big thing that can help people grow as dancers is practicing dancing. Mm -hmm. That's it. That is the shortcut. Yeah. Practice. Mm -hmm. Work. Yeah. To not practice is to really take the long way around and to suffer <laughs> yeah. because of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you can practice alone. You can practice with a with a partner. Mm-hmm. You know, practica doesn't have to be something a teacher organizes. Practica is you and a friend get together and move the furniture and roll up the rug.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And little practicas like that, like, you know, just uh, with one partner or we used to practice every uh, every Monday for like a year or two. Dasha and I practiced with our friends Jake and Dana Ray, mm-hmm. um, who are now living abroad. And it's actually Dana Ray's birthday today. I wanted to say happy birthday to oh, her in nice. the show here. Mm-hmm. But we all we all used to practice together for like two hours or so. They had an, a newborn child to bring over to in the carriage, and and she didn't cry at all with the music. Great. Um, but you know, practicing is really the main thing because that's when you're. You're dancing, you're working on it, you're improving it. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to practice, I've seen that, you know, if you have a good practice habit, Mm -hmm. right, then you're going to be improving and you're going to be also maintaining the skills that you have developed Mm -hmm. uh, so that they're not backsliding for lack of use. I think this is something that musicians are are much bigger on than dancers usually because Mm -hmm. musicians get up and perform and if they make a mistake, everybody hears it (laughs) (laughs) right away. Yeah. I made mean, a real, real big mistake, right? But mm-hmm. as dancers, we don't, you know, especially as improvisers in tango,
2: mm-hmm.
1: mistakes are part of the dance. We just roll them into the dough. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. they're not, they're not such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of improvisation. But I think that when it comes to practice, even with people who do practice, where I have seen um, a lot of people do things, let's say suboptimally, mm-hmm. is they only practice hard stuff. Uh. Um, and that, is not actually any fun Mm -hmm. over the course of an hour when you're practicing three times a week. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's suppose you have that kind of schedule. I think that it's really important when you practice, you know, this is if you go to a practico with somebody together too, Mm -hmm. is that you start with stuff that you know, Mm -hmm. you practice that to improve it, and then you work on other things and then you end by practicing stuff you know, practicing Mm -hmm. simple steps, like the simplest steps that you have. Right. You know, it's important to practice those too because those are the components of all the more complex material. Exactly. Right. Yeah. right. So oftentimes I've, you know, as part of uh, teaching students you know, privately, I say, hey, are you practicing with somebody? They say, yeah, I'm going to practice now. Mm-hmm. I say, well, how do you practice? And they go, mm-hmm. I never thought about it. I said, oh, well, let me tell you how to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, so you get more out of your time. Mm-hmm. Start off with simple stuff mm-hmm. and then make sure that each one of you bring something to the table and tells the other one what they want to practice. Mm-hmm. Because what happens a lot of the time, especially when you have like man and woman practicing together is that mm-hmm. you practice all the stuff the man wants to do. Yeah. Cause he's leading, he's got all the names of all the steps and we never get to her interests. Mm-hmm. And I think that for women in, in tango to develop your voice in the dance,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Not to interfere with the lead, but to develop your style as a dancer, your, mm-hmm. and your own repertoire of, of embellishments and of other stuff, mm-hmm. um, and of rhythms mm-hmm. too. That's all part of that. I think that's just as important. And it really, it really requires the same kind of focus targeted practice that anything else does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to really go in with a, not even so much you don't need a goal per se, but at mm-hmm. least like an agenda yeah. um, of like what you want to do, what you want to cover. Right. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really productive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another thing is that I know a lot of people take, I call them video notes. Mm-hmm. You know, at the mm-hmm. end of the class, people film a demo. Yep. For me personally, I've had a very mixed experience with this. Okay. When I started, when I was taking classes, I started to notice that if I watched the demo, mm-hmm. I would lose the lesson. Mm. And so I stopped watching the demos in fact, I remember I was taking classes a lot in a in a bar. This is a different bar okay. than the original one
2: mm-hmm.
1: a little bit bigger floor, but we'd do the whole class and I would have the experience of being in the embrace doing the steps
2: mm-hmm.
1: right doing the figure and then when it was time for the demo, I would turn around and talk to the bartender and order a drink until the demo was over mm and then when the demo was over, I turned back around and I still had what I got out of the class. Ah. Because for me to to see somebody else doing it and take myself out of the embrace gave me a perspective that was just too hard to assimilate with this fresh material. Mm-hmm. So for a long time when I started teaching, I didn't do demos. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I was just being stupid and I should <laughs> I should accommodate people who wanted it, because mm-hmm. not everyone learns like me. Yeah. And so I started doing demos mm-hmm. and what i noticed though is that if people only film the teacher mm-hmm. doing a step then you're still left with the same issue you have your tape you go home and watch it yeah and what if you got you haven't got your own dance so right. i think if people film themselves mm-hmm. two things happen first you actually see that you'd learned it mm-hmm. and you believe in yourself and that you can remember it later when you do forget it. Yeah. Every step you're going to forget at least five times. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get that, but also like when you see yourself on tape
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and you're like, Oh, well, the <laughs> next thing that happens is you see yourself on tape again, having mm-hmm. cleaned all that stuff up that you didn't like. Yeah. So that's a great motivator is actually seeing what you really look like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, even for people who say I don't care about the looks of the dance, until well, they see it, yeah. <laughs> and then they go, oh, maybe, I, maybe I care a little more than I yep. than I said. Yep, yep. But you know, to do that is it. You know, this isn't something that holds people back, but mm-hmm. I think if you do it, it really throws you forward quite quickly because mm-hmm. you you will clean stuff up right away, and yep. you'll try it again, and you'll you'll tape yourself again. Yep.
2: Yeah. So
1: I think that's a that's a good little method
2: mm-hmm.
1: that you can use from time to time. Mm-hmm. I don't think for beginners, it's so, it's so important to do that, but yeah. kind of once you, once you know your way around the dance a little yeah. bit, that will send you back to the basics and it will get you connecting all those dots that you, uh, left unconnected really quickly. I think it's a great, a great little side project. Excellent.
0: Yeah. So Jake, uh, I know in our previous phone call before we were recording today, uh, we, we spoke a little bit about, about musicality. So as a teacher, how do you introduce that concept of, of of musicality to your students?
1: The way I look at musicality mm-hmm. is a little—I've noticed it's a little different from what I've seen a lot of other teachers do, dance teachers do, with musicality. Okay. Right. And what I often see in musicality is a focus on like single instruments in the orchestra mm. or. Single details in a phrase, mm-hmm. um, things like this. But so basically, always winnowing it down to to something that is only a part of the music. Mm-hmm. And my sense of musicality as a as a dancer, but also as a musician, is actually the opposite. Okay, I try to I look at things and I say, well, they spent all this time making an arrangement of how things fit together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What business do I have to pull it apart? Mm-hmm. You know, I find as a dancer that's not even that's not really what drives me. You know, you hear different things in the music. You dance to them, but really you're dancing to all of the music all the time. Mm-hmm. You're just choosing as you dance, really what gestural quality in your dance are you going to find that goes with that music? Or even more importantly, how the music makes you feel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because, you know, there's this old saw about, are you dancing to the rhythm? Are you dancing to the melody? Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, the melody's played to the rhythm too. So right. I don't know. I don't really... I don't find a lot of juice in that lemon, so to speak, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it turns out to me it's the same thing. But I think that musicality really comes down to some really simple fundamental things. Mm-hmm. And the first of those is just the measure of the music. What is the? How does the beat come in every tango you're ever going to hear? That's for dancing, mm-hmm. even the ones that aren't for dancing. And it's always the same. It's always two beats at a time. And that two counts in the in the tango music is even the nickname of tango from a long time ago. They just called it by the time signature, which was two, four.
2: Mm. So
1: those por cuatro is mm-hmm. the, is that time signature. That's what is most characteristic of tango as a music.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even when you start looking at sheet music and that kind of stuff. So I think that to, to just start from that, that makes the music much more transparent to people. And suddenly they understand what they're hearing. Mm-hmm. And from that beginning, there's your basis in musicality. Mm-hmm. Then you can develop it in a lot of, A lot of different ways focusing on the way that you walk Mm -hmm. without even changing like you know are you stepping on every beat are you doing double times or Mm -hmm. syncopas or whatever right all that stuff is kind of becomes really easy to incorporate but the more interesting thing i think about musicality is what's the quality of movement that you Mm -hmm. give the dance Mm -hmm. because that's what's really matching the tone of the music or the atmosphere the mood of the music much more and also the articulation of the of the rhythm i think all these things that are the musical qualities are what as dancers we should really be mm-hmm. focusing on because you know to dance to do your feet in this little way mm-hmm. with this little pitter-patter thing that you yeah. think is in the music and it's really kind of kind of not is i think uh, i think that's choreography mm-hmm. and that's really too specific for me musicality is something that's much more flexible
2: mm-hmm.
1: and is much more related to our ability to dance musically to any music that we hear Mm -hmm. in the milonga, Mm
2: -hmm. not,
1: and we don't need that moment in that song. Mm -hmm. Um, That's always choreography. That's like design. That's not creativity Mm -hmm. and inspiration. Mm -hmm. So for me, musicality is really, you know, it's something that you don't need a lot of experience, knowing the songs themselves, knowing the particular recordings to have a good sense of musicality. I think that's actually the trap that a lot of people fall into. When I started dancing back in Brooklyn in a little tiny bar, mm-hmm. uh, there was also a little tiny upright piano oh. in the back. And a friend of mine, who I just knew from the bar, after I'd been dancing a few weeks, he mm-hmm. goes, hey, Jake, are you dancing tango now? I said, <laughs> yeah, don't tell anybody. And he said, you know, and this guy was a, uh, let me back up a second. This mm-hmm. guy, my friend Albert, who I haven't spoken to in years, he's, mm-hmm. his job at the time was as a gigging piano player. He used to play in hotel lobbies and at dinner functions and nice. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he says, you know, my grandfather was one of Carlos Gardel's guitar players. Wow. For most of his career. Mm. And I was like, at the time I was like, Oh, that's wonderful. Who's Carlos Gardel? <laughs> <laughs> of course I learned very quickly. Right. But the point is this guy grew up knowing tango music. No, he had stacks of sheet music mm-hmm. and he said, do you think, would you guys, you know, mind if I came in and played sometime? And I was like, I'm sure that nobody would mind. Not only that, I'm sure that we're going to be stacking beers on the top of the piano there so you'll keep playing. Yeah, yeah. So for about a year and a half, he would come in every, this was Wednesday night. He would come in every Wednesday and he would play sets of like 45 minutes or so. usually nice. play two sets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, as the night went on, the rhythms got a little looser and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But he played live for us right there. That's and great. so I really learned how to dance, not only to live music, but mm. the songs I didn't know already.
2: Oh. And
1: you get it in your bones, how the music works. Mm-hmm. If you, if you have to start in that way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right, you can't back it up and rewind it. And right. Again, you've got to learn what's the template, what's the pattern. Mm-hmm. And the pattern is one and two and one and two mm. and one, everything else built on top of that template variations on it. But that, those bones are always there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when those bones and your bones are working together on the dance floor, you can dance to anything. Yeah. That for me is musicality. It's, it's when somebody's playing live and you've never heard them play before, if you can mm-hmm. dance to it, you've got it.
0: Nice. Right? Yeah. Love it. Great.
1: That's how I look at it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, Jake, every Thursday you got that Eastern Market Milonga in DC?
1: Yes. Awesome.
0: Great. So, where do we find out more information about you online?
1: Uh, You can find my website online at tangodc.com. Okay. There's not a lot of content up there now. I actually, I used to have about 80 translations of tango lyrics up there uh, for a number of years, but I took them down because a whole bunch of them were published in a book that I edited called In Stranger's Arms. In Stranger's Arms. uh, Which is by, yes, by Beatrice Duchovny. You can find it on amazon.com. I think that's actually the the lowest price um, around there. And, uh, that book has been used in several university courses now, nice. um, for, for several years in a row. And I, I still get comments about it all the time. I, I still reread sections of it. And I think it's a really wonderful book Great. about more of the background of tango, the background culture. Okay. And not really like one person's, you know, individual experience in tango. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that, but that's almost for comic relief more than anything. Um, <laughs> But it's a book that covers a lot of a lot of the different parts of tango that you, um, that you might not encounter mm. in classes or uh, on websites or even in any long in person. It's really about the, the whole society behind it and, and the roots of it culturally, mm. even down to the neighborhoods and things like that. Okay.
0: All right, I'll have all that information in our show notes so people will be able to find uh, the book and also the website. And be able to read up a little bit about who you are. All right. Oh, there's yeah. one there's sure. one other thing.
1: Sure. Actually, I did an I did an interview with friend of yours, Max Field Wallum Fisher. Uh, um, yes. about so, a month ago. Okay. Uh, on a program for Tacoma Radio. And mm-hmm. it's actually about that two four measure uh, in the dance. We talk about it for about an hour over right. some of the variations, some of the other stuff in it. So I encourage people who want to know more about that to go check that out. I've heard people have enjoyed that show. And uh, I think even just the beginning of it gives you the main idea um, and the rest is elaboration uh, on it. But I think that once you've got just that little thing figured out, you've got Mm -hmm. kind of entry into the, into all of the music. So I highly recommend it.
0: Okay, great. All right. Well, Jake, thank you so much for the great conversation, for sharing your insights. Uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Joe. It's great to be on.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, you have a great day and we'll stay in touch. Sounds good. All right. Okay. That was another great conversation. Jake had a lot of interesting things to say, and I really liked what he said about learning and community, that taking classes and having good teachers is definitely a plus, but we need to spend time among other tango dancers in malangas and practicas and learn how to integrate ourselves socially. We need to be aware that the best of our tango will come through during dance experience and not in the more academic setting of a class think of the skills you pick up while working at a job while doing versus the skills you learn in school that's not to say that what you learned in school was totally worthless it's that school and classes can only offer you so much also jake mentioned something really important about enjoying tango It comes down to wanting a good partner versus being a good partner. And that really sums up a lot. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to dance with a good partner, but we'll have a much better time when we make the effort to be a good partner. It helps to encourage beginners, other community members will appreciate you, and you'll just get more out of your tango experience wherever you go. And like Jake said, the mindset of being a good partner makes you an active producer, of good tango in a community and not merely a consumer so thank you again jake for sharing your personal tango story and for your many thoughts and insights and a big thank you to all you listeners for supporting the podcast i really appreciate it thanks to you the podcast is doing well and it's continuing to grow but if you could take about 20 seconds to pop on over to itunes stitcher or wherever it is that you're listening and leave me a five-star rating and or a review, that would be a great help. And it also makes this podcast more easy to discover. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.